Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joins us. Fish, nothing surprises you. Uh, obviously, you've seen all there is to see in regards to action on a basketball court or on a gridiron. But one of the reasons I love Indiana so much, one of the reasons that I'm proud to call it my alma mater is the ebbs and flows of a season and the sky is falling one minute to happiness is back the next. We got the latter of that on Saturday. Uh, what were your takeaways from a very impressive second half that involved an 18 to two run by the Hoosiers to close out the Badgers at Assembly Hall? Well, probably the thing that sticks out the most to me about that ball game was the fact that Indiana came out and matched what Wisconsin put on the floor intensity-wise, especially at the defensive end, and neither team could shoot it in the ocean in the first half, <laughs> which we all saw. But nevertheless, uh, they, they took that first-half intensity and transferred it to the second half, which is critically important. And, of course, they got their offense going a little bit, and went on that 18 to two run that basically salted the game away and and put Indiana in the driver's seat the rest of the game. So, uh, honestly, the intensity level with which they played with uh, at both ends of the floor was really really good, um, and and no question it was the reason they won the game. Hey, Fish, it's Brendan. Intensity was a word you used when you came on with us after the Iowa game and how IU needed a dose of that. Well, the second half defense. When's the last time this season that you saw this team play that hard of defense, especially in a second half of a game? Well, I, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it before, but probably the the ball game that sticks out in that regard would be North Carolina or the Xavier game. Either one of those two, I, I think that they also exhibited the same thing. And and the, the defensive end of the floor has, for whatever reason this year, kind of dropped off a little bit and. And it's concerning because that's that's where you can play always play hard. You can always play with intensity, and it normally will keep you in a ball game. I mean, there may be a game or two that <laughs> that you just get taken out of it because the other team is just that much better. But normally, if you play hard at the defensive end, and no team personifies this more than Rutgers, um, because it doesn't matter whether they're shooting it in or not shooting it in. They are really tough to deal with at the defensive end of the court. And this team has not done that consistently. I'm not saying they haven't done it all year, but the consistency of it has been ebbing and flowing. And there's no doubt right now they needed to get a win on Saturday to kind of change things mindset-wise for our fan base and everybody else. So it was a crucial, crucial ball game for Indiana and Mike Woodson must have done something in practices and in the locker room uh, before that ball game to get these guys to understand how important this game was. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools, they have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. Com. Fish, you can tell me if I'm crazy on this. This is me. I was not being around the team, but kind of consuming it, uh, both as a member of the media, but also as a fan. With where this team was, and it felt like during 
stretch of play against Iowa, against Penn State, against Northwestern. The team felt like, at least from my observations, looking for reinforcements, looked lost, looked who's going to step up. Even though you'd like to have Race Thompson back earlier, the rumor reports last week were mid-February, two to four weeks. Am I crazy to think that it's maybe helpful for this team to know that if they want to achieve the goals they want to achieve, they now know reinforcements aren't coming anytime soon, and by the time they do arrive, it would likely be too late if the men in that locker room don't step up and rise to the occasion like they did against Wisconsin. Well, I, I think I think that's probably the case. I, the, you know, I'm not in the locker room either, right. therefore I'm not hearing those conversations right. most of the time. And obviously I, I will query coaches and people <laughs> around the program to get a feel for what's going on. But the, the fact of the matter is I think Race Thompson's injury, I mean, X going out was, was a big, big factor. Yep. But when you lose a second guy out of your starting mm-hmm. five, uh, and it appears that that guy's going to be out for a long time, it takes something out of you. And I, I think just from a mental perspective, especially young guys, guys that haven't been around the block, uh, so to speak, uh, for all that long and haven't had to deal with something like this, I think it takes a little bit out of you mentally. Now, that that's something that you've got to overcome, and you've got to overcome it quickly. And I can't conceive that Woodson and the staff didn't talk to these guys about that very thing. But you could see in the Iowa ball game, uh, after he won out, it changed things pretty dramatically, especially at the defensive end of the floor, because both X and race are really good defensive basketball players. So, uh, you know, it may take a while to, to figure it out, but it shouldn't take quite that long. And the Northwestern game personified what I thought, along with uh, Penn State, this team wasn't figuring it out. And they didn't have a, a – I don't want to say they didn't have a clue about what was going on, but they certainly didn't understand the the situation they were putting themselves in. Now you're one, you're two and four in the season, even with the Wisconsin win, uh, as far as Big Ten play is concerned. And let's face it, last year, two teams or three teams finished tied for first at the top with 15 and five records in the league. Well, sure, you could absorb another loss now, but do you think you're still going to win a Big Ten championship <laughs> with two more losses? Right. I mean, and especially with the conference schedule that you're about to yeah. face, um, these two games against Northwestern and, and Penn State, and Penn State has really improved, and Northwestern has too. Both these teams are much better than they were a year ago. There simply is no let-up in this league, and you cannot do that. You can't do that to yourselves. Now Indiana's put themselves in a very precarious position if they hope to achieve the goal that we heard that they wanted to achieve, which was a Big Ten championship. Fish, the game that Jordan Geronimo played, double-double, 12 and 11, what impressed you most? Well, the fact that he came back um, from some just subpar performances. He hasn't played, I don't think he's played as well as he could possibly play this year. I think I don't know if it's, if it's been a playing time issue, the amount of minutes he's getting, that kind of stuff. I think players sometimes get enamored with all that and, and forget they've got a role to play, no matter what that might be. And whether they like it or not, they still have to play that role. I'm not sure that uh, Geronimo felt that way about it. I, I haven't talked to him in that regard, so I can't answer it. But I, I, do know, I do know that he just hasn't played as consistently as well as we thought he would. He came off a big end of the season last year, looked like he was dramatically improving, um, and I think he worked hard in the summer. Uh, I don't know what the reasons his year has started out the way it has, 
but he has not been the factor we thought he would be on a consistent basis. He has in certain games, and he certainly was on Saturday against Wisconsin, and hopefully that transfers to the rest of the year. Don, so far, particularly with the absence of Xavier Johnson and Race Thompson, there's been increased need for impact plays, both from Trace Jackson Davis and, of course, the the weight of the world to an extent on a freshman in Jalen hood Shafino. You've seen plenty of freshmen across your time, Fish. Uh, another impressive performance for him against Wisconsin. Uh, what did you see out of hood Shafino on Saturday? Well, I just think that I think he's trying to slow things down a little bit. Uh, you know, with freshmen, they also, you know, especially a guy as good as he is, sometimes try to do too much, right. maybe make a, a, a spectacular pass rather than the easiest one. Uh, you learn. That's that's part of what he's going through this year as a kind of basketball player. Look what this what this is all about at this level. Uh, I think he had a pretty good feel for that because the competition he faced that uh, my bird was really good throughout the year. Um, at the same time, it's just different at this level. And it takes a while to translate everything that's going on out there into your brain so that you know exactly what you should be doing. But I'm telling you what, he is a big-time freshman. There's no question about that. Uh, he's a scorer. He's a, a distributor. He plays hard at the defensive end. Uh, he's still learning defense, as we know, but, but at the same time, he's taking it all in. And I think every game that you watch him, he seems to figure out a little bit more what he needs to do and how he can get it done. I'm really impressed with this kid. I think he's a real special player. Fish, in today's world of college basketball, you do not often see a team win by nearly 20 when they make one three-pointer in a game. Uh, So IU (laughs) going one of eight from three, I realize they have not shot a lot of them um, over the weeks, but... If they're able to win a game like that over a ranked team by that much when they do not shoot well from outside, does that give you hope for the rest of the campaign? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's no question that heading only one three in a ball game, and they didn't take, they did take eight of them, but they they didn't hit but one. (laughs) That said, that's saying something. That's telling your team right there how important not turning the ball over and playing hard at the defensive end of the court, how important those two things really are. Um, so if that doesn't teach you something, then you're not paying attention. <laughs> and believe me, this team needs to pay attention in a big way right now. Don, always appreciate you making the time for us. Like you mentioned, the Big Ten never takes a night off. Brad Underwood on the road, then Tom Izzo coming into town on Saturday. Uh, very, very, like you mentioned, precarious and interesting stretch for the Hoosiers. Looking forward to listening along on the ride, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Fish. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. One guy that won't kill me is Pat Boylan. We are always appreciative of his time from the Pacers Radio Network. Pacers and the Bucks coming up at 2.30. Pat, it's BK. Great to be with you. Pacers on a three-game skid. Challenging one this afternoon in Milwaukee. Your general thoughts, my man. Well, my general thoughts have changed in the last 10 minutes. That's because Giannis Adetokounmpo, who was listed as probable going into the game, has now been ruled out. Mm. So this is obviously 
a major development as it relates to this afternoon's game. It's, of course, MLK Day, and this is a, uh, a kind of a staple on the NBA's calendar, these day games on MLK Day. So always enjoy getting to do one of these during the afternoon on a weekday, which happens almost never. Uh, but from a Pacers perspective, that's obviously a, a major difference maker. The Bucks have been without Chris Middleton for nearly the entirety of the year. He's their all-star guard. And Giannis uh, has missed eight games this year, and they are four and four when he doesn't play. So they're about a 500 team without him. The Pacers have lost three straight, and uh, this road trip coming up is not going to be easy, but they do catch a break here. Indiana, obviously, without Tyrese Halliburton, and we will see on Miles Turner. Uh, so it looks like each team's top player will not go today. Pat. T.J. McConnell was often a, a pulse of the locker room, if you will. He, he's very honest and, and very thorough with his answers to the media. Uh, he spoke a little bit over the weekend regarding how the Pacers have adjusted or what life is going to be like without Tyrese Halliburton in the short term. Where were your takeaways for how much his absence was felt, uh, particularly against Memphis on Saturday? Yeah, it's hard to tell on just a two-game sample right. size. And there was a two-game sample size without him earlier in the year. The Pacers went one and one. Indiana has, uh, ironically, arguably, their best win of the season came without Halliburton this year. That was the win in Golden State, the Warriors, who have been arguably the best home team in the NBA this year. But, of course, you're missing Tyrese Halliburton. He's probably a top-20 player in the NBA. And when you miss a guy like that, it's a significant blow. Fortunately, the Pacers have only had to go four games without him, but they will go two weeks or about a week and four days at minimum more until he'll be reevaluated. I think one thing that helps a little bit is the fact that Andrew Nemhard and TJ McConnell are both past first point guards with good vision. So it's not like... Uh, to use an analogy, if you are going from you know a, a, a pass immobile type quarterback to all of a sudden putting a running type quarterback in as your backup. I think the Pacers are going to, and they have been running very similar types of offenses. And I think stylistically they look very, very similar. Now, when you're missing maybe the best passer in the NBA, that's obviously a big blow. A guy who scores 20 points per game, a guy who does it very efficiently. And, you know, the Memphis game, Memphis comes in winners of eight straight. They've got one of the very best records in the NBA that moved them that win into a tie for first in the West. They're rolling, and you can make a case they're the best team in the NBA. And I think it'll be interesting just to see in general how these couple of weeks go. I, I can't say you look at that one game and necessarily draw any conclusions. Uh, the Pacers kind of let one slip the night before against Atlanta. Right. But the positive there is they had a, a really good opportunity to win without – both Tyrese Halliburton, and important to note, they haven't had Miles Turner, too. Um, and if you look at the games that Turner has missed in the Pacers record, that actually has been a significant indicator of Indiana's success. So um, there is hope that Miles Turner will go today. I don't believe, as of this conversation here, there has been a ruling in either direction. Missing Halliburton is obviously massive. I do think they have the type of guys behind him to keep the same style of offense going. But missing Turner shouldn't be understated either. That's the biggest component of their defense. And I, I do think as, as Memphis is going on those runs, that's one area where you looked and you said, well, would it have been this dramatic without Miles Turner? Probably not. So both of those guys and their statuses will obviously be very impactful here on the Pacers in the short, medium, long term. 
Pat Boylan's with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Pat, as mentioned, I know the Memphis game kind of ended up being a wash towards the end. One of the positives, Chris Duarte with 25 points, 4-9 from 3, made all of his free throws. I know rumors are swirling in his direction, maybe from the outside, not asking about that, but but just for as long as he's on the team and seeing the floor, how big was that performance for him? I thought it was the biggest silver lining of a really tough night on Saturday. Chris Duarte had gone through just some – I mean, there are droughts, but then what Chris Duarte was going through the last eight, nine, ten games, I mean, he was shooting under 20%, numbers way, way, way below what you would have expected – and when you start to look at, okay, if you don't have Halliburton and Turner, we'll see here, but you haven't had Turner for three straight games, where can you pick that up? Well, there's an obvious scoring load that you need to pick up. That duo combines to score about 38 points per game. Uh, but Chris Duarte, if he could get on track here, he could help soften this blow. They haven't really gotten any significant production from Duarte since he went down with that injury. He was out for over a month. Um, you know, I think it's it's realistic to expect the guy to take some time to get back into the flow of things, both physically and mentally. And so I think I think he could be a really interesting X factor, if you want to call that here on a guy that could help soften the blow over the next couple of weeks of Halliburton. If Indiana could get a bigger contribution and maybe something resembling what he did on Saturday night, if they could get that over the next couple of weeks or or a significantly improved Chris Duarte, that's something you haven't had lately, and it's something you probably weren't counting on having. And if you could get that, then that could help soften the blow of not having Halliburton. So I think, I think it could be really significant, and I, I think it'll be really interesting to watch how he plays these first couple of games on the road trip. Can he build off of it? Will it just be you know one strong game, or can he turn it into multiple ones? And as a lot of shooters are – Sometimes you see the ball go through the rim, you have a good game, and that can be enough to kind of switch, uh, flip that switch for you. So I think that's a significant hope here for Chris Duarte, and I think he could be somebody that is a difference maker if he could get his play back up to the levels of where he's been uh, when he's been healthy in his Pacers career. Pat, in that same vein, looking for areas of replicating scoring or filling in scoring, particularly over this four-game road trip that – maybe not long-term, but in terms of the type of ground the Pacers either have to make up or navigate through once the four-game road trip is over before they are in the Eastern Conference standings, currently sitting at eighth. Uh, Benedict Matherin gotten a couple of starts with the Pacers shorthanded at times. I know that he, like everybody on this team, are pretty accepting of their role. So my question isn't about him starting, but it's over the fact that I believe 41 the last two games, uh, 16 in the loss against Memphis. Uh, what have you seen in that two-game sample size, and where will he need to be at his best or most efficient for this team over this four-game road trip? He's obviously had a terrific rookie season, but the last couple of games, the last few games, if you want to include – uh, the next game when Tyrese Halliburton went down in the third quarter, it seemed to me like he's been very understanding of, okay, more weight is on my shoulders here. I need to do more. I need to be more aggressive. And I need you know to help carry the load here without Tyrese Halliburton. I think he's a very intuitive individual, and I think he understands that. Now, to be able to perform while understanding that is a completely different question. It's one that he's answered very positively here in these couple of games without Tyrese Halliburton. 
And I think, I think when you look um, at, at areas that the Pacers could bridge this gap without Tyrese as he hit this tough road trip here, we just talked about Chris Duarte. And you're in a situation where it can be tough if you have to rely on rookies. But the Pacers are a really young team. And so I think the rookies and second-year guys like Duarte will have a lot to say on, on how this couple-week stretch goes. And from Matherin's perspective, from the Pacers' perspective, I think they're going to need a top-level contribution from Benedict Matherin. And so I think it'll be a good test for him as he gets a little bit more weight on his shoulders. He's in the starting lineup. He's, you know, he goes up an option. And, and frankly, without Turner, he maybe goes up a couple of options late in game. Is he the third option now the second option, or at times when he's rolling, I think he could be the first option in late-game scenarios. How does he handle that? And then Andrew Nemhard, um, he's somebody that was just terrific in those two games earlier in the year that Halliburton missed, had a tough shooting game in uh, the game against Atlanta, and then nobody really had a great night besides Duarte against Memphis. But I think you're watching Nemhard too. This guy is as solid as they come, especially for rookies, especially for young players. So I think you're pretty confident that he's going to continue to be solid. But when the Pacers had that just almost miraculous win in Golden State uh, without Tyrese Halliburton earlier this year, it was Andrew Nemhard who stole the show. I'm not saying you need 30 and 10 out of Nemhard, but I do think if he's able to step his game up as he has more weight on his shoulders, as he's taking over the point guard role, uh, that can be really significant. I think both of the rookies, uh, the draft pick, the first two draft pick rookies, there's Kendall Brown in the mix, of course, too. But uh, I think the, the top two rookies have both had excellent years so far. And I think they're going to be in situations here in the next couple of weeks where they're getting a lot more opportunity, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Pat, clearly there are no easy games in the NBA. You already touched on Giannis being ruled out just recently today. No Chris Middleton. Kind of underrated news. Joe Ingles, who really has taken over those minutes for Middleton, had been playing really well with Giannis. He's also out, too. So you know, the Bucks they're going to be playing some young guys, too. So you just talked about Matherin and Nemhard having to step up in the absences that the Pacers are facing. Could this be looked at as a decent measuring stick game just because the firepower, it seems like, on both sides are pretty similar with the young guys that will be in action? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think Turner's availability will have uh, will go a long way in determining that. I think I think this would be the type of game where if the Pacers were healthy, if they had Halliburton, uh, if they had Miles Turner, you'd say, okay, you know what? Without Giannis here, this is still a road game against a very good team. But without Giannis and without Middleton, you never say a road game, especially for a team this young, is one that you should win. But I think if you were at full health, you'd look at this and say, hey, this is a tremendous opportunity, and good teams win games like these. And so it's a good opportunity to see if we can continue along the path of being a good team. Without Tyrese Halliburton, I just think it throws it all a little bit uh, too haywire at the moment. We haven't gotten to see enough games without him. And the thing about Tyrese that's so tough about losing him is, is Nemhard and McConnell are great passers. But the Pacers have so many guys that are either having career years or one of the best years of their career this year. And I don't mean to discredit what they are doing and their work to get there by any means because I think – that is a significant storyline. Miles Turner uh, stepping into a bigger role and being able to do so consistently. Aaron Neesmith coming from Boston and being able uh, to step his game up. I think all of, all of these individual storylines are very significant and worthy of praise 
with what they've been able to do themselves to get here. But part of that equation is Tyrese Halliburton. You play with arguably the best passer in the game, and everybody around you gets a little bit better. And so when you don't have a guy like him, life is, I think, just a little bit tougher for everybody else. Not only do they not have him, um, but it just throws you a little bit out of rhythm. There's a chemistry dynamic to this as well. So I don't know that I'd necessarily look at this game as a measuring stick or anything like that, but I do think it's an opportunity. You don't have Tyrese Halliburton, uh, but the Bucks don't have arguably their top two players. The Pacers have never won at Pfizer Forum when the arena was built. Uh, the, the Pacers' last win came at Demo Harris, the previous arena. So I think, I think uh, you know, all cards are on the table here, and you don't really know what to expect. But if Giannis was playing without Tyrese Halliburton for Indiana, you'd go, this one is really, really tough. You're going to maybe need uh, a sort of night like you did in San Francisco against Golden State earlier this year. You look at it without Giannis, and the equation to me is very different. I should have scooped a ten and a half last night. It's it's mine. It's plus six now for the Surge. Not saying I'm not going to back them, Pat. That's not a question for you. That's just me ranting <laughs> and reminiscing about sadness and and my uh, a lack of intelligence there to jump on that train last night. Um, I want to shift gears to a different pacer, one that you've been tweeting about uh, quite a bit lately because he's been in for the injured Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, uh, seven block shots at one point the other night, uh, joined the likes of. Miles Turner, Roy Hibbert, Jermaine O'Neal, the last Pacers to do such. Uh, how critical has he been, particularly on the defensive end, uh, in the stay of Miles Turner? Well, by the way, I just took my gambling training that the NBA sends out to just so just to be totally clear. No comment. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. No, that's a great point. That is a great point. I don't want to get Pat in trouble. Pat didn't say anything regarding gambling. Pat doesn't use any gambling apps. Uh, I will I will sign an affidavit for you if you need me to, Pat. My apologies on you, that. You, no, no, nothing to apologize for. All tongue-in-cheek there. Isaiah Jackson is, is a guy that maybe from an opportunity standpoint uh, has benefited the most lately. And benefited, it's, it's the wrong word there. But one thing that, that Rick Carlisle has referenced a few times is there's not much good about injuries except for the opportunity that they can provide. And Isaiah Jackson is somebody that was down with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants because he had fallen out of the rotation a couple of weeks ago. And that's not, it's not an indictment on Isaiah Jackson, but it's more of the way that I think Rick Carlisle has adjusted to feeling like the Pacers play their best, which is he's moved Jalen Smith basically from the starting power forward to the backup center. And then by default, it moves Isaiah Jackson from a backup center role into a role without minutes. And so it, that's the tough life of the NBA is something like that can happen and it can be nothing of your own doing to be the reason that you're losing those minutes. I think it's something that a guy like Rick Carlisle and the just respect he has from all the years, the NBA championship, he'll be a Hall of Famer. I think it's something that he's able to do and it, it not cause issues where a younger coach might have to uh, massage egos a little bit more than somebody with the pedigree of Rick Carlisle. But Isaiah Jackson basically lost his, his rotation spot because the Pacers wanted to play smaller. So Miles Turner, as, as he's been out, it's provided a terrific opportunity for Isaiah Jackson. And he's somebody that, I mean, if you just watch him, the guy has – just an abundance of raw skills. I mean, he could hit his head on the rim. He's a lob threat in the way that the Pacers don't otherwise have. And so I think it's good to get him back on the floor and at least in occasional rotational minutes because he's like, he's a little bit like that baseball pitcher that throws 
a, a different type of pitch that nobody else on the staff has. That mm-hmm. lob threat forces defenses to think differently. But his rim protection, I think, is probably what I'm watching most closely. He's a terrific shot blocker. As you noted, he had those seven blocks uh, just a couple of days ago and was one of four Pacers since 2000 to do so. And the other three are regarded as three of the better shot blockers in the NBA and will be in NBA history. So that tells you his skill set. There's no question to me about his ability to block shots. It reminds me a little bit of Miles Turner early in his career. Miles Turner right away came into the NBA as a very, very good shot blocker. But right away, he wasn't always regarded as a top rim protector. That came later. A top rim protector is somebody that when they're not blocking shots, still forces opponents to hit at a lower rate than league average when they're around the rim. And so I think right now Isaiah Jackson is a really good shot blocker, but I think he has some strides to take in his rim protection. He's also really young. He's still uh, only 20 years old. So great opportunity for him the past couple of games. We'll see what happens if and when Turner comes back, which is hopefully soon, perhaps as soon as, you know, an hour plus here. But in general, uh, I I thought he did a, a really nice job in these last couple of games of filling in his opportunity and showing Rick Carlisle that if there is uh, foul trouble, if there are future injury problems, that he's somebody that you can go to and have some confidence in. Pat, first of all, always down with a baseball analogy. Love that. And secondly, Pat Pullins with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Also, Pat, the month of April is a long time away, but this Pacers team has played good enough basketball, of course, to put themselves at least in a playoff position right now. You know, 40-something-odd games in, 23-21. and 21, The Pacers are back in that play-in area of the Eastern Conference with Miami, Atlanta, and Chicago. Those four teams, Pat, are super intriguing to me because all of them seemingly have elite scores, at least one. Jimmy Butler, Tyrese Halliburton, Trey Young, DeMar DeRozan. But of that group, and we've seen them all, Pat, Miami, Atlanta, and Chicago, when the Pacers are firing on all cylinders, I would almost argue, again, when they have everybody available – there's not many teams better in that group than the Pacers when it comes to playing on the defensive side of the floor. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it has to do with just their pace of play and what they're able to do. When the Pacers get a stop, it seems to be in general, you're talking on the margins here, but in general, um, when the Pacers get a stop, it's more fruitful. So Miami, they're a slower pace, grinded out type of team. The Pacers won't play defense at the level of a team that has Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, but where the Pacers... Uh, can compensate for that is Indiana leads is either first or second. They they go back and forth every single night. Uh, in fact, with the Memphis Grizzlies for fast break points, points off the turnover, stats like that, the Pacers are very, very good in. And so while they're not the, you know, the early 2010s Pacers that played with a slow pace and grinded and, and really made you work every possession on the defensive end, this iteration is a team that, by the way, is still looking to improve defensively. They feel like they've got steps they can and need to take by the time uh, we're talking about games in April. But I think one thing that this group does such a good job of, and, and Tyrese Halliburton leads this charge, and then everybody else, I think, has been understanding of the advantage that they have in these type of situations. When the, when the ball is, is off the rim and a Pacers, gra- and Pacers player grabs it, it is a full sprint to the other end of the floor. And I think that's in a large reason why the Pacers offense has been as successful as it has because they haven't had to face set defenses, I think, as much as most teams in the NBA. The toughest thing to do 
is when you're pulling the ball out of your basket and then you have to walk the ball up the floor and the defense is set. That's the toughest defense to score against. So the Pacers say, we got the athletes to run. I mean, Benedict Matherin's a fantastic example of this. He is so good. I mean, he's already, he, he reminds me of, a seasoned veteran all-star when you get him in transition and that those top players in the NBA, when it's a one-on-one type of fast break, they score at the rim 90, 95% of the time. And I don't know exactly what Matherin's numbers are in those scenarios, but it just feels like whenever he's in transition, that ball's either through the rim or he's at the free throw line. And so that's, that's a huge part of their DNA. They're so young, they're so athletic and they take advantage of that, that of course, involves being healthy and having Tyrese Halliburton out there. But, you know, it's maybe the time you start looking at the teams around you in the playoff picture. I think it could potentially be an interesting playoff race because you've got the Pacers who, to this point, are significantly overachieving based on standards that were set outside of the building before the season. And then you've got a few teams behind them. Miami's gotten their act together. But a few teams behind them, like Chicago, Toronto, maybe Washington that are underachieving. And so you've got the Pacers overachieving with a few teams that have a lot of key names on them and big names on them, especially in Chicago and Toronto that are behind. And are they going to get, you know, their act together? Are they going to put together a run late in the season? So I think it it adds intrigue um, to some of those later playoff type positionings. I think that's something in general that the play in tournament has done. All of a sudden, the difference between being six and seven is significant. So there are more storylines and more intrigue as it relates to being six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. All those spots are pretty drastically different in terms of your chances of making the playoffs. So if you're in that mix, it makes things interesting. And the fact that we're having this conversation here in January, even off of three straight losses uh, with the Halliburton injury, I think it's obviously been a very good sign of just how successful this season has gone. Pat, last thing on my end, you kind of elaborated to what I was going to ask you anyway in regards to the the macro of where this team can go in the postseason and the standings and, and fans watching those standings, how impressive it is for this team that we are having those conversations now when the fear was was going to be another down year like a year ago. But in the, in the micro of it all, over this four-game road trip and with the status of, of Miles Turner when he's going to return still unknown, I know that's a big caveat with Miles' absence, but what would you like to see out of the Pacers starting today with the Bucks, and then, of course, the Nuggets and the Suns along with the Thunder as some nice tests that the Pacers have continued to answer those tests so far? What do you need to see from them with a potential shorthanded roster over this four-game road trip? Well, you know, if the Pacers were healthy, I might give you a number. I might say I think two and two on sure. this road trip would be really successful. I think if they went one and three and all these games were close – Uh, that you wouldn't view that as maybe a positive, but it wouldn't be a bad road trip. It's just, for me, it's so tough to prognosticate without Tyrese Halliburton, and just we haven't seen enough games without him. So I think, to me, the general answer to that question will be this. Are these games more like uh, the one the Pacers played on Friday, or are they more like the one the Pacers played on Saturday? In a couple of hours, when people are hopefully still on this station and listening to the game, are they listening to Mark Boyle calling dramatic moments in Milwaukee? Now, I'm not saying four close losses is a success. I'm not saying that at all. But I just think there is a flow and a style of the of the game that's going to be important in judging this road trip as a whole. Um, if, if you got the two wins without Tyrese Halliburton, that is a slam dunk and you'd come home thrilled. 
but in general, are you playing competitive games and are you giving yourself a chance to win at the end? And if you're doing that against four pretty good teams, then I think you're going to be uh, ultimately, as long as you can pull – uh, some of these out or even one of them out down the stretch, I think the quality of play will be the more significant thing to watch here. And it's, it's also just tough to judge this road trip because, as we've discussed a few times, it's hard to know exactly what Milwaukee is at home without Giannis and without Middleton. Uh, the Suns are a below 500 team right now. They've dealt with some injuries, but nobody would have predicted that. On the other hand, Oklahoma City is far better than people would have expected. And I think most people had Denver being good but the number one team in the West, I don't know. So all four of these teams, I think, are at different spots than, and in some of them significantly different spots than you would have predicted at the beginning of the year. So it's tough to know where the Pacers are right now without Halliburton. And frankly, it's tough to know exactly how tough these four games are going to be with four different teams kind of in different positions than you might have expected. Pacers and the Bucks coverage at 2 o'clock coming up on the fan. 2.30 tip from Milwaukee. You will hear Pat Boylan on the pregame coverage and the broadcast with the Pacers and the Bucks here this afternoon. Appreciate the time, Pat. Gentlemen, appreciate it as always.